Now today, we are not in Revelation, but we're actually in the book of Acts. Uh, once again, we find ourselves in the book uh, of Acts chapter 16. Uh, we've been trying to get through this book, for, for the, or this uh, chapter, for the past several weeks. Uh, typically, as we go through the, uh, our books, we, we try to tackle about a chapter per week, but uh, this chapter has just taken us a little while to get through. I think for the last two Sundays, we've only managed to cover about 10 verses, but I guess that's not a bad thing. There, there's been a lot of great lessons that we've been able to learn out of these, uh, these few verses uh, in the beginning parts of Paul's second missionary journey. So just to give you a quick recap of what we've been talking about recently, um, Paul and Silas began this second missionary journey primarily to check up on the, the churches that Paul planted on his first missionary journey. He wanted to make sure uh, that these new believers were actually growing in their faith, uh, that they were the, the type of disciples who would go on to make more disciples. Uh, and actually, that's just what he found. Uh, when he returned to uh, Lystra, for example, uh, this was a town where on his first missionary journey, he was stoned and, and left for dead. But yet on his second return to check up on these folks, uh, he found a young disciple named Timothy. You're probably familiar with him. Uh, but uh, Timothy had grown greatly in his faith during the time uh, between the first missionary journey and Paul's second return there, uh, so much so that Paul wanted to bring Timothy along uh, on the rest of his journeys. And so he invited Timothy to come along. Timothy accepted, uh, and together with Silas, Paul, Timothy, and Silas, uh, they went out and they visited the rest of the churches that Paul had planted on his first missionary journey. And so they, they together, they strengthened and encouraged them uh, and brought the report back from the the. the the meeting back in Jerusalem about circumcision and the Gentiles and all that sort of stuff. Um, but anyways, with all that done, uh, after they'd visited all these churches, they kind of finished that phase of their missionary journey. And so they wanted to move on to visit some new cities, cities that had never heard the gospel. They'd never heard the, the, the message of Jesus Christ. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy headed towards the province of Asia. However, we're told in Acts 16.6 that God prevented them from going and preaching there. And so they headed north to the province of Bithynia. But again, God stopped them from going and preaching there. And I suppose this must have been probably a little bit confusing for Paul and Silas and Timothy at this time. I mean, why on earth would God prevent them from preaching the gospel in places that had never heard? Well, of course, God had a plan and a purpose, as he always does. Uh, and he made that clear to Paul in a vision. Uh, you recall the one they were in... Uh, in well, I guess, yeah, they're in Troas, and Paul had this vision of a man from Macedonia in northern Greece saying, come over here and help us. And so they concluded that God had called them to go and preach the gospel in Macedonia. Now, just as a little bit of a side note here, I didn't mention this last week, but it's right here at verse 10 that we see that Luke, the author of the book of Acts, he actually joins Paul and Silas and Timothy in this journey, and he travels with them to Philippi. Now, we're not specifically told that in these verses, um, but if you'll notice the, the pronouns, it's kind of easy to miss, but if you look at the pronouns, there's a change there. So, for example, in, in verse 8, uh, Luke writes, so instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas, right? They, they're referring to Paul and Silas and Timothy. They went on through. But then in verse 10, he writes, So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. All right, so they has now become we and us. And that will continue through this chapter uh, until they leave the city of Philippi in chapter 17. So it seems that Luke has now joined them in Troas and will continue with them through their visiting uh, uh, the, the city of Philippi uh, until eventually Paul, Silas, and Timothy leave. 
And some people speculate that Luke actually stayed behind to pastor this newly founded church in Philippi, at least for a time, until he would later, uh, several years later, join Paul again on his third missionary journey. However, at this point in the story, there's not even a church in Philippi yet, so let's not get ahead of ourselves. Instead, let's pause here for a word of prayer and ask God to teach us something new from his word this morning. Dear God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather in this place. Uh, we thank you already that we've been able to be, not only have we been ministered to through the, the songs and the things that have been said, uh, but we trust, God, that you have been glorified and honored as well. And God, we pray that this would all continue, that you would be glorified and you continue to speak to us as we look at the, the, the pages of your word today. God, speak to us each in, in our own ways. Communicate those truths to us that we need to know so that we can, uh, as Mike told us, so that we can live a life of obedience to you uh, so that we may be you know, that, that hero of the faith. Uh, but more importantly, that you would get uh, much glory through how we live our lives. And so we pray these things in your name. Amen. So our passage today, as I mentioned, is Acts chapter 16. Uh, we're going to start at verse 11. You can follow along with us in your Bibles, or it should be up on the screen there for you. It says, We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. And the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there, we reached Philippi a major city of that district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank, where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. And we'll stop here. Now, there's some interesting things that we learn about the city of Philippi uh, in these few verses. First of all, we see that Philippi is a, a significant city in Macedonia. Uh, other historical writers say that the city of Philippi was probably about 10,000 people or so at this time. So, you know, not a, not a huge, massive place, but not a, just a, a small rural town either. Uh, we also learned that it was a Roman colony. Uh, that means that there would have been a, a significant Roman influence there and, and certainly Roman loyalties in this city, and that's going to kind of play a factor uh, as we go through the rest of this chapter. Now, at this point, the Jews were not looked upon very favorably by the Romans. In fact, the, the emperor, emperor Claudius had just expelled all the Jews out of Rome. Uh, we're actually going to read about that when we get to Acts chapter 18. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla were some of those Jews who were kicked out of Italy. Uh, but this could be part of the reason why Paul went down to the river where he thought that people might be praying instead of going to the synagogue, uh, as was his custom. You'll remember that Paul's heart and passion was for his own people, the Jews, right? Uh, and then, you know, of course, for the Gentiles after that. And so because of that, anytime he went into a new city, his first place was always to go to the local synagogue to, to preach the gospel there. And, and then he would go to the rest of the city. But as we read here, we'll see that, you know, he didn't go to the synagogue. It seems that perhaps there was no synagogue in the city of Philippi. Uh, you had to have at least 10 Jewish men to, to form a synagogue. And so we might assume that perhaps there's not even 10 Jewish men in this city of, of 10,000 people. And that would certainly make sense if there was a great deal of animosity towards the Jews at this time. However, there were at least a few women who may not have been Jewish, but they worshipped the God of the Jews. It says in, in verse 13 and 14, On the Sabbath we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank, where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. Now, when Luke describes Lydia as one who worshipped God, uh, this means that she was a Gentile who somehow came to believe in and worship the God of the Jews, even though she herself was not Jewish. 
And I found it kind of interesting that Lydia was from Thyatira. Uh, Thyatira was a town, again, famous for its, its manufacturing of this expensive purple cloth back then, of which Lydia was a merchant. But what's most interesting, I found, was that it was located in western Turkey. That's right in the area where God had earlier not allowed Paul and Silas to go and preach. And I just thought this was another great reminder of just the sovereignty of God. I mean, God was, was putting all the right people in all the right places to carry out his will. Uh, he took Lydia from Thyatira brought her to Philippi, um, and probably for business, we assume. Uh, but at the same time, God also prevented Paul and Silas from going to Thyatira and brought them instead to Philippi, where Lydia was. And then more specifically, we see that God brought Paul and Silas and, and Luke and Timothy all down to that riverbank where Lydia and some of these other women were, were praying. And he did that so that they could hear the gospel message. They could hear about Jesus uh, and how he died on a cross, rose again from the grave so that they could have their sins forgiven and have the promise of eternal life. And you know, God does this sort of thing all the time. He constantly is arranging our circumstances so that we are, are where we need to be to cross the paths with he, the, the people that he wants us to cross paths with so that his will can be accomplished. And, and I was reminded of this a little bit this week. Uh, back on, on Monday night at about 1.30 a.m., uh, my sewer alarm went off. Apparently the, the septic tank was not working as it was supposed to, and the sewage had gotten up to the point where it set off the alarm, um, which was not a very good thing at all. And so the next morning we, we get up and we go and try to investigate what in the world is going on here. Um, and so we ended up uh, calling for a steam truck to come and, and try to steam out the lines thinking that they had probably frozen solid. Now, of course, at this point, I am not very excited about this whole process. I mean, first of all, not very excited to be awakened in the middle of the night to have to deal with this sewer stuff. Secondly, I'm not very excited about having the, the hassle of dealing with this now. I don't know how long it's going to take to figure out what the problem is and, and get it all fixed up. And now I've got this steam truck coming to, to clean it all out, which is going to cost me a pretty good chunk of change. So I was not very pleased that this was happening. I was so wrapped up in my own inconveniences that I almost missed the sovereign hand of God at work. Uh, but thankfully, I was actually reminded of this by my daughter that night. Uh, and, and she said that, you know, God might have a particular purpose for all this sewer stuff going on. And, and I'm sure that he did because uh, the, the guy that came out to, to steam out our septic lines, uh, he asked what I did for a living. So I told him I was a pastor. And when he found that out, he was quite open to, to share some of his beliefs. Uh, I believe he, he described himself as being about 70% Hindu and 30% Buddhist. Uh, so I don't know how that all works together, but, but we worked together for the next several hours, actually over the next two days, and, and during that time, he did most of the talking for sure, but uh, Heather's dad and I, we had the chance to share a little bit of our, our Christian worldview with him. And of course, you know, he didn't you know, make a profession of faith at that time, but I am confident that God had a purpose for him being at our house that day and having those conversations with us. I don't know, you know, what part of our conversations might stick with him and, you know, somewhere down the road, maybe God will use that to, to help change his life. I, I don't know. But God does. God always has a plan and a purpose for everything that he allows to happen in our lives. And certainly, we see that in the case of Lydia. Uh, verse 14 continues. It says, As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. So she urged us until we agreed. Now, what a, what a tremendous day for Lydia and her entire household. 
They believed that the saving message of Jesus Christ, they put their faith in him, and they were baptized as a sign of their new life in Christ. But this certainly wasn't the end of God's purpose and plan for Paul and Silas being in Philippi. Um, as we read through the rest of the chapter, we see God had some more divine appointments for them. Uh, the next one happens in verse 16. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. You know, again, what a tremendous day for this young slave girl. I mean, she had been enslaved by this, this demon perhaps for, for years already, perhaps the majority of her life. You know, and she was being taken advantage of by her, her owners. And on this day, she found freedom through Jesus Christ. Now, was that a coincidence? You know, did this come by by, by random happen chance? Well, of course not. This was a divinely arranged plan by God the Father. Even though I imagine that demon probably thought that he was hindering God's work, right? He was attempting to create a distraction to keep people from, from hearing and paying attention to what Paul had said. But yet God used this demon's attempt to do evil, and he turned it around and used it for good. And not just a little bit of good either. The, God, the good that God caused through this was not just limited to this slave girl being freed from her oppression, as wonderful as that was. But look what happens next in verse 19. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Now, hold on. Where's the good in that? Now, this does not sound very good at all. I mean, Silas and Paul are, are stripped and, and beaten severely with rods, and they're, they're thrown in the dungeon. You know, I, I thought we were talking about God bringing about good, but this sounds pretty bad. In fact, I would say that this is, this is evil, right? But yet, here's the amazing thing. Many times, what others intend for evil, God has plans to use for good. And I think uh, the, the story of Joseph is probably the, the prime example of that. You guys are probably familiar with that. As a young man, Joseph, uh, he was hated by his brothers, so much so that they sold him as a slave uh, into Egypt. And, and that was pretty awful in itself, but things got even worse. You know, he was, he was lied about and falsely accused by his master's wife, and he, he ended up getting thrown into prison. So here he is, a slave uh, in prison in a foreign land far away from his family. You know, it certainly didn't seem to be very, very much good in that, was there? But yet, you know the rest of the story. God was with Joseph, and, and through some miraculous series of events, God brought Joseph to be the second in command of all of Egypt. And, and through that, he was able to save the lives of thousands of people, including his own family. You know, and, and I just love the, the perspective that Joseph has through all this. Now, I don't know if he saw this as a young man going through all those hard times, but many years later, he says to his brothers in, in Genesis 50, 20, You intended to harm me. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. 
Now, isn't that amazing? In hindsight, Joseph could see how God was at work through all of this. Right? And God continues to do this all the time, even for us today. You know, the things that, that other people or even Satan intends for evil in our lives, things that are intended to harm us, God can use those things, and he can use them to, to do good. Uh, and actually, that's what we see in our passage today. You know, well, while Paul and Silas are, are being beaten and, and thrown into prison, that's, that's certainly not good in itself. But God had a plan to bring something wonderful out of all of this. It says in verse 25, Around midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul showed it to him. Stop! Don't kill yourself! We're all here! The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Now, what, a, what an amazing story, right? What, what Satan had intended for evil, God turned it all around and used it for an amazing good. A man and his entire household was saved from an eternity of, of being away from God, and instead they received the joy and the hope and the peace of knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, when Paul and Silas were, were being beaten with those rods, did they know what God was going to do? No, for sure not. As they sat in the dungeon, you know, with, with their feet clasped in those irons, did they know that God was about to bring salvation to an entire household? No, they didn't know that either. But yet they trusted that God was going to do something good through their difficult and painful situation. And I think that's perhaps why they could be praying and singing in the middle of the night in this, this dungeon with, with aching, beating, throbbing backs. You know, they knew that God was going to work all things out for good. And actually, Paul would later write in the book of Romans, Romans 8, 28. He says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, Paul had experienced that firsthand. He'd seen God do it over and over again. You know, when you think about the, the, the chain of events throughout this whole chapter, you know, you really get a sense of, of how God leads and guides and, and even takes things that are intended to harm us and he uses them so that his will will be done. You know, we began the chapter with Paul and Silas, you know, not being allowed to go and preach in the province of Asia, you know, or Bithynia, right? God had closed those doors so that they could go to Macedonia. And then, as Satan tried to, to hinder the message of Paul and Silas with this slave girl, trying to distract people from hearing the gospel, you know, God just used that as an opportunity not only to free this slave girl from her oppression, but to bring about the, the series of events that God was going to use to bring this jailer and his household to come to know and love the Lord. You know, God uses every situation to bring about his will, and much good gets accomplished. Now, of course, from Paul and Silas's perspective, this was not always a, an easy or an enjoyable journey. I mean, they, they faced significant roadblocks in their ministry. They had to deal with 
demonic uh, distractions. They had to endure physical pain and suffering and, and all kinds of things like that. But yet, somehow through it all, they were able to rejoice. They were able to, to pray and sing because they knew God was at work using every situation to bring about his will. And so that's the encouragement that I, I'd want to leave with you today. You know, maybe you're in a difficult or, or a painful part of your journey right now. You know, maybe it's a, a relatively small inconvenience, like a, a frozen sewer pipe or something like that. Or perhaps it's something much more significant, like a, a broken or severed relationship. You know, th there's all kinds of things that come into our lives that uh, can hurt us, that can distract us, uh, or even destroy us, right? We're told in 1 Peter 5.8 that Satan's like a, a roaring lion looking for people that he can devour, he is the enemy of our souls, and he uses all kinds of, of people and circumstances and events in our lives to hurt us, to distract us, or, or threaten to destroy us. Right? His intentions are always to harm us. But thankfully, he is no match for our God. Right? Anything that Satan throws at us to distract, discourage, or destroy us, God can take that situation, and he can use it for good. And it's, it's amazing to see how he does that. Um, and that's what he did with Joseph, as we talked about. That's what he did with Paul and Silas on multiple occasions. And that's what he do, does for us as well. Now, that doesn't always mean that God will spare us from being beaten with rods or being thrown into prison or, or whatever it is that we have to go through. There's a, there's a lot of rotten stuff that we have to go through in this life. But we can know that as we go through those things, that God hasn't forgotten us or abandoned us. You know, he doesn't allow us to suffer for no good reason. But rather, we can know that God is going to use our situation to bring about something good. Now, we may not see that good right away, like Paul and Silas did, seeing you know, entire households coming to know the Lord you know, within days of all this stuff happening. We may not even see it years down the road, like Joseph did, having been able to save his family from starvation. But as people who love God, we can know for sure that God's will will be done through us. Because God has promised in his word that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Our job is simply to trust him, to follow his leading, and to invite his will to be done in our lives. Dear God, we thank you so much that you are a good and sovereign God. We thank you for how you work in our lives, even when we don't see what you're doing. We have no idea why some of those hard and, and painful things come into our lives. But God, uh, as we just sang, God, we trust that your will will be done through those things. May we be uh, willing and, and eager even to endure those things. May we be able to sing praises when we're, we're clamped in the dungeon and all those things, uh, recognizing that you're still God. You're still good, and you will cause your will to be done through our lives. So, God, I just pray that as we go through those things this week, whether we go through the good things or the bad things, that in all things that we be able to praise and give you honor and glory and trust that your will will be done through our lives. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.